All right. Uh, so we had quite a few voicemails uh, in response to our last episode. I guess uh, there were a lot of robots out there uh, mm-hmm. that listened to our show. So uh, let's hear from some of them now. Hi, guys. My name is Chris Patty, and I'm from Somerville, Massachusetts. Uh, I love the show. I don't run OpenBSD, so I don't. I didn't leave anything in the past because, honestly, I have nothing of technical substance to contribute because I'm just in awe of you folks and what you do. I mostly um, do Linux. Uh, anyway, the story this episode about you getting um, audio running in stereo on your Huawei laptop is precisely the kind of awesome that I think is really makes this podcast uh, stand apart. It really, there really are a lot of really interesting technical stories that you folks bring to light here, and uh, who doesn't like a good war story? Um, so thanks for all the hard work you folks do. I know making a podcast is a non-trivial affair, and uh, keep fighting the good fight. Thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Um, thanks for the feedback, and uh, I guess we'll try to do more uh, technical stories like that. Yeah, I kind of feel bad. There was a lot of uh, there was a big theme with people thanking us for the technical deep dives, and I've never put notes together. I've never like prepared anything, and now that I've heard the feedback of people listening and thanking us for that and saying that's their favorite part, I feel like I need to do better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's hear another voicemail. Hey guys, one of the robots who downloads your show here, um, calling from Virginia. This question is more for JCS, but I want to hear from you too, Brandon, if you've ever worked on a mobile app. Anyway, JCS, what's one thing you wish you knew or had done differently when first starting Pushover? And a follow-up to that is, as a new dev, is it easier to get started with iOS or Android as far as developing and publishing apps? Thanks a lot. I guess to quickly answer those questions, I guess the one thing I would have done differently would be to get the like business service part of it up and running uh, sooner. Uh, that would have led to more uh, recurring revenue every month, which is always nice to have, and you don't have to work so hard to uh, get more users uh, every month. Uh, you can just you know keep them and make more money off of them uh and as far as ios versus android i would say (laughs) it's pandora's box (laughs) yeah i mean ios is easier in the sense that there are fewer devices that you have to support so it's easier to just make an app and then kind of know that it's going to work correctly but as far as all the other paperwork and legal crap that you need to do, um, it's more work for uh, for iOS. Uh, Google is kind of more lax with that stuff as far as publishing apps on, uh, on Google Play. But you have so many more devices and versions of Android and all that stuff you have to support. So, mm-hmm. Do you have any input on that? Yeah, um, real quick. So my last job... Um, the end part of that, I was working on a team that um, built two mobile apps, um, two for Android and two for iOS in the time that I was there. And it was very lightweight mobile app stuff, so it's not very involved what I did. But we built a hybrid app, which I think five or ten years ago and maybe even now is perceived as not very 
acceptable in terms of building like mobile applications, but it fit our need. Um, and you know, we didn't have any Bluetooth or hardware kind of integrations or anything like that. So it was fairly straightforward stuff. Mm -hmm. Most of the work was done on the, on the website and then we shimmed in things for, uh, push notifications and, uh, keeping people signed in. So their sessions were active when they, uh, backgrounded the app or closed the app. But, uh, my, my experience is, I think, uh, leans towards iOS. I love the development environment. Um, I think that uh, the only hang-up I have with the iOS tools is, like, in Xcode, there's a lot of things that you are encouraged to do inside a GUI with clicking, and I'm just not used to that. Um, I don't care for that too much. Um, and I think, like, during the publication process, there's a little bit more involvement, um, or there was until more recently, in the iOS side, because they uh, they make you set up the provisioning profiles, and um, you know you have to outline what things you need to support and how. And I think it's a little bit easier in Android in that regard. Um, and then iOS has like their guidelines for um, the design of the application to some extent, and uh, they seem to take a little bit longer with that feedback loop than Android does. And uh, they don't encourage or even support a beta channel. So um, iOS is great, I think, for the upfront development, but then uh, getting your application published, I like the way Android does that a little bit better. I don't know if that's helpful or not, but that was my experience. The provisioning profiles and then all the certificates and stuff is yeah. a lot easier on iOS now. Uh, yeah. It's all managed for you inside of Xcode, and there is a, uh, a beta thing for iOS now. Yeah, we were using Test Flight. Um, right. Apple, Apple just bought that app, so now it's nice. It's an Apple thing. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I think right at the tail end of when we were doing development, all the provisioning profiles got put onto, uh, under one umbrella. I, I'm not exactly sure what, what the change was because I wasn't doing it at the time, but yeah, I heard that that change was pretty, pretty uh, helpful. Hello, this is Thomas. I work in a dual role of computer janitor and technical copywriter in Helsinki, Finland. And I thought I'd just give you a quick call to verify that I'm indeed human and I listen to your show. <laughs> I pretty much owe my career in texts to podcasts, uh, where I've picked up everything, everything from the big picture to trivia, on whatever level a non-developer can understand things like reverse engineering. Uh, I feel that podcasts are an accessible medium that respects that, that respects people's time and need to do stuff like working out, walking, and doing chores. So please don't underestimate the value of value of well-informed, verbally gifted people like yourselves just having conversations on their areas of interest. That's all. I just wanted to say I appreciate your work and that I hope to see new episodes every now and then when you have new stuff to rant about. Thanks and bye. Thanks, uh, thanks Thomas. Yeah, I, uh, I greatly appreciate podcasts as well. Hi, uh, everyone. My name is Thea, Thea De Silva, also known as Sigflop. Um, you can find me at theadesilva.com. And uh, I was just calling to let you know I love you. I was just calling. To, I, sorry, I don't know how that sound goes. I was uh, <laughs> calling to say that I really like OpenBSD. I've been an OpenBSD user since 
Oh, geez. Um, the version where they had the art of the, the cop that is chasing after the the beef that has the root pig. <laughs> I think it was five. I think it was two point eight. But the yeah. So um, just want to I just want to say hi. That's about it. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks, Theo. Uh, I looked it up, and uh, it was 2.5 that had the uh, artwork with the cop chasing the uh, the bad guy. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Uh, this is from somebody that uh, I think you and I both know. Hey, Garbage Hosts. It's Andrew, uh, afresh one at a long-time <laughs> listener, first-time caller. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I wanted to say that uh, I enjoyed the write-up about the Linux VFIO stuff even though a lot of it I didn't understand and it was just black box and whatever. But I do think that uh, a lot of what was the right reasons for not having many comments was that it's a kind of anti-bike shed type of uh, question or article uh, where folks don't know enough about it to claim they're experts. The origins of the whole bike shed thing are actually pretty interesting. And other than that, I just wanted to remind B. Mercer that he should put a BSD can and at JCS, uh, you should, uh, like, throw things at him until he does or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, maybe as a part of a trailer talk, you guys can uh, talk about how feasible it is that uh, he brings up the Airstream so we can check it out. Talk to you later. Mike. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. I am excited to start traveling in the Airstream, in fact. Um, so BSD can actually falls right after the hackathon this year. Is that correct? uh next year yeah okay yeah uh 2019 yeah i forget we're at the end of the year but it's in 2019 um and it's over in ottawa and uh my plan is to make it up there i don't know if i'll be in the airstream um but i do hope to make it up that way and spend time for the latter half of the the hackathon and the uh, uh bsd can yeah i will uh be there for the hackathon. I'm not sure if I'll be able to stay for BSD can, but uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, so we have a whole bunch of other voicemails, but I thought uh, Brandon would read some emails that we got. Yeah, I went through all the emails. Thank you guys for sending those in. It's actually, uh, it's really kind of a nice break in the day to get an email where somebody says, hey, this is great. I enjoy it. I guess uh, I'll go through a few of those here. So Philip uh, emailed us, and he basically said, hey, thanks for doing the show. And he was asking about T-shirts. Um, and we do have T-shirts available. The link for the T-shirts right now is on shop.spreadshirt.com slash garbagefm. And I'm sure we'll put a link up in the show notes or something. But he was asking about them, and they are still available, so... Um, if anybody else is interested, you can go grab them. The next email uh, that we got in was from Oliver, and uh, he said the same thing, really enjoys the content of the show, and uh, JCS, I'm sure that this is going to be the theme of most of these emails, but um, he really liked the deep dives, uh, especially the one that was on the last podcast. Um, he said he really likes hearing about how we do development work, but then we're also kind of humans. He likes that balance kind of stuff, I would assume, the stuff that I uh, ramble on about uh, at nauseum, I'm sure. Um, but he did have a question. He was asking about the workflows that we use for development. 
And then, you know, like when we build something, how we end up using that afterwards. So um, in addition to like us expanding on that, he also commented that um, he's hoping that, you know, I can share a little bit more about what I'm working on at work and uh, like contrast the web dev that I was doing for years to the low level stuff. So do you want to start maybe like take a crack at your uh, workflow for doing uh, kernel development or uh, anything like that? Is that like how far down the rabbit hole? <laughs> I don't know how far. Um, I mean, I guess it's just my laptop and Vim. Um, I don't really have a complicated Vim set up with all kinds of plugins and stuff. Um, the only thing that I really use a lot during kernel development is uh, C tags. So you, if you're reading source code and you hit uh, control, I think it's close bracket, mm -hmm. um, it'll jump to the definition of a function. So if you're, um, you know, in the kernel, you kind of have to jump through a whole bunch of hoops to get down to the actual like definition of a function that you're looking at. Um, and it's hard to trace that manually, but uh, the CTEX port in Vim makes that uh, pretty easy. And then I guess it's just compiling, installing, rebooting, booting, seeing if it works. If so, repeat. If not, boot OBSD and try again. That's pretty much it. Yeah, and, and that's pretty much exactly how my workflow is as well. I usually have um, another computer while I'll, I'll have like documentation or other source code if I'm like reading how another driver does something um, I'll have that pulled up in a browser so I don't have to have that like I don't have to open that up every time and um, one other thing that I have started to find convenient is um, like a, a very simple tmux configuration that opens up um, just a couple panes so that I can compare code back and forth pretty easily um, get me in the right directories and that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, the same thing. Make sure that if you're installing kernels or doing kernel development, you um, have yourself a backup kernel so that um, when it installs the new stuff the second time, you don't wind up without a backup that works. So Yeah, I usually grab the, uh, the current snapshot kernel and just save it as bsd.snap so that uh, if... BSD or OBSD don't work. Um, you always have BSD.snap, which is uh, should be relatively close to your kernel tree that you're working on. Yep. I called mine a OBSD recently <laughs> because I needed a laugh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my workflow. And um, just to touch real quickly, um, Oliver asked about um, my work. So um, to, to just do a high-level skirt of it, I'm working in um, Connected Home, and basically, we have smart lighting solutions um, for, like, the consumer. So basic uh, understanding is, you know, you want to have some automation around your lighting, being able to control, um, like, a routine. And when you wake up in the morning, have the lights kind of ease in. Uh, some people don't want to have an alarm clock, so they'll have their um, lights turn on and simulate a sunrise. Um so anyhow, uh, that's the division that I'm working in at GE, and um, 
I really can't talk much about anything that I work on. Um, I will say that, uh, you know, my company is, uh, uh, headed out to CES here in a little bit. Um, they were there last year and the, uh, the team is going out again this year and, uh, they're going to be talking about, um, new released products, uh, what's in the pipeline and that kind of stuff. So, but I'm on that team. Um, the, the technical team is, uh, a great group of people and we are definitely working on fun stuff. So, um, uh, I guess from a technical perspective, there's mobile application development, there's a API server, there's firmware uh, pieces and, um, you know, it all communicates, um, the bulbs all communicate over BLE and, uh, you know, I'm just getting started and all that kind of stuff. So, um, becoming familiar with BLE, becoming familiar with the hardware, with the different configurations, what the bulbs can do, what they're expected to do, and that kind of thing. So I wish I could tell you a little bit more about the technical stuff, but uh, I can't. So um, maybe at a, at a BSD can, <laughs> we'll have pizza or something, and uh, I can talk a little bit more with folks who are curious about it. But uh, it's fun, and it's definitely refreshing, um, you know, working on all this kind of stuff. So thanks for emailing in. We spent a little while on that time, so we're going to move move on. Um, there was uh, A.B., the Australian, and he said, uh, keep doing the show. He loves it. Simon emailed us, and he says uh, that he loves the quality of the podcast, which uh, just kind of breaks my heart because I feel <laughs> like quality? I don't put anything into it. <laughs> we just what it, it started off as us complaining about everything, and mm-hmm. then uh, you know now we're starting to change gears a little bit. But um, uh, Paco? He says, thank you um, for the podcast. He, w- he was going to call in, but um, he was too shy to share his lovely accent with us. So he just emailed <laughs> us and said, we, and, and we appreciate that. Um, and uh, let's see here. Um, Paul, he emailed us and he said, great job on the show. Keep doing it. I appreciate it. And he commented that he wants to start uh, writing code again. And I think you should. Um have fun with it. Do stuff that you enjoy. Um, see what you can come up with. You know, find something that interests you, or fix something that's broken. Um, and then, you know, see where see where you can help things improve. I'm sure that you can have a positive impact on our community in some way, shape, or form. So, mm-hmm. why don't we take a break? Did you have some other topics that you wanted to talk about? Some stuff that you're working on, or you have been working on? I have been working on, yeah, so there is something I can talk about that I'm kind of excited about. Um, TLS 1.3, the um, the RFC was released in August. I want to say it was August 10th, um, RFC 8446, and I'm not an expert on this stuff. I just enjoy it, and uh, Filippo gave a talk on it, and you know, I was like, wow, this is really kind of cool. They're doing perfect forward secrecy and improving uh, the protocol such that it can't be man in the middle and they stood their ground and, uh, you know, they had some feedback from some rather large industry players and they said, Hey, look, you know, you need a way for us to be able to do these particular functions. And they said, no, we're not going to compromise the protocol, find a different way. So anyway, um, what I started to do was, um, I pieced together a few different things here. Um, uh, man, it was a long time ago. Remember the Qualys 
SSL labs that would give you like a score for your uh, SSL implementation. This was back when we were having heart bleed issues or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, back then, I found a, uh, a write-up where someone said, this will get you an A-plus rating um, for your Go HTTPS server. And so I've uh, kind of used that TLS um, configuration and um, kept its parameters around for a long time. It's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, basically what it does is, is it tells, um, what cipher suites can be used. Um, oh, actually I should probably just pull it up here. But anyway, the TLS configuration in Go, um, can get you a a fairly strong TLS configuration. And, uh, I'd had that for a while, but I thought, you know, um, I'm, I'm not really too motivated to do much with it until TLS 1.3 comes around. Well, what happened was um, Filippo had a PR uh, open for a long time, I think more than 18 months, into Go, uh, HTTP TLS library or crypto TLS library, um, all of them, to implement TLS 1.3. And it got merged, and I said, well, why don't I see what I have to do to my configuration to get TLS 1.3? And it was literally a one-line change. Um, minimum supported protocol version went from TLS 1.2 to 1.3, and I was serving up uh, TLS 1.3. Wait, so and you, I, don't, uh, you don't support 1.2 anymore? Yeah, I completely disabled it. Um, oh. I, I, I felt kind of like I wanted to draw a line in the sand with it, like, hey, this is, to me, in my mind, the, the uh, bare minimum for what I think TLS should be and what it should represent. And that is you can't man in the middle easily the protocol. And, you know, it's got perfect forward secrecy, uh, you know, the handshaking resumptions and all these things to my naive mind seem sane. And I don't want to support the stuff that we've kind of known as weak and broken. So I said no 1.2 at all, only 1.3. Um, then the next thing that I kind of like realized is I want to put it on my website. So, um, OpenBSD has Acme client and, uh, Acme is like an entire protocol. Um, and I'm not sure what the RFC for it is, but anyway, the Acme protocol is basically the automatic certificate management environment. Um, when you go to set up, um, uh, a certificate. You usually generate the signing request. You send it off to the authority, and you shell out hundreds of dollars. And uh, they say, "Oh yeah, we we think we trust this person." And there's this uh, very minimal amount of verification that would go into a base certificate. And uh, so anyway, the Acme protocol and Let's Encrypt basically said this isn't good enough. And I, I really like the model that they've set up. Um, and basically what you do is <clears throat> um, you generate an RSA account key and uh, a domain key the first time you initialize this Acme client. You put in some parameters uh, about your domain, um, and you have to have a web server set up to host this challenge. And what I think is nice about this compared to the um, normal domain um, verification processes, you actually have to host the challenge 
on the domain. So you have to have some sort of access to it in order to do that. So to me, that um, is a little bit better verification for uh, for anyone who's accessing that domain to say, yes, this person actually has control of this domain, and here's how we checked it cryptographically. They were hosting a challenge. We were able to get to the challenge, and it was signed and uh, verified using this protocol. From there, um, you after you generate those keys, present the challenge, you get... Um, Automatically, they have the uh, they give you back the um, the chain, like the full chain of certificates. Everything's all signed, and um, uh, you you just point your TLS configuration to use the key and that signed certificate chain, and you're ready to rock and roll. And um, you can literally set it up, you know, in a cron job to renew this whenever um, whenever it needs to happen. I think. They have some policies on that. 30 days, uh, let's see. I'll read the documentation here. It says, um, the Acme client in OpenBSD looks in the configuration file that you set up for the domain corresponding to uh, what you're passing in from the command line. And then it uses that configuration, retrieves the X509 certificate. If it's already there and it's less than 30 days, it um, refreshes the signature. Um, Anyway, I, uh, I thought that was pretty awesome. So that was the easiest I'd ever set up um, a TLS certificate. It's most cost-effective, most straightforward, and I liked the quality of it the highest. Um, so the, the next thing I said was, well, I need to support you know more than one domain now that I've done this. <laughs> so what I did is um, in Go... I was kind of like poking around to, to try and understand if I could do SNI or not. And this is where I found um, a little bit more information. So in Go, in, in the uh, standard HTTP library, they have a, a helper function that's um, basically uh, listen and serve TLS. And you give it a couple parameters. And what I found is the configuration uh, in the TLS configuration in Go lets you specify an array of certificates. So if you give it an array of um, certificate key pairs, it, re it tries to read the host name um, from those certificates to understand you know, which domain maps to that set of certificates. And um, so basically what I did is I built a little data structure that um, I populated. I said, hey, here's all my certificates. And then it has a helper function built in already that you can call to uh, populate all that information. And it iterates over that list and um, sets all that stuff up for you. But I did have to change how the server was started. There's a few other way, um, parameters that you have to call by hand. Um, I'm going to pull up the code here. Isn't TLS 1.3 still experimental? Like, does LibreSSL even support it? I don't. Uh, LibreSSL does not support it. Um, as far as I know, there was a hackathon recently where they started to talk about it. But um, I'm I'm almost sure. Let me look here. Because I just did the Qualys SSL client test on my browser, and it's showing that uh, TLS 1.3 is experimental. 
Yeah, it said that on mine too, but I'm looking here. It says uh, I, IETF has finally published TLS 1.3 as RFC 8446, and this is in August. So I thought it was out. RFC 8446 here says proposed standard submitted to IESG for publication. It's a proposed standard. Yeah, I mean, even if it were a full standard, if none of the client libraries have the actual code for it yet, yeah, they, they're not going to be able to connect to your server. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the other funny thing is I see so many people uh, connecting, and it's uh, it's like, yeah, you don't have uh, TLS 1.3 support. I guess that's a way to weed out bots, right? <laughs> They'll probably yeah. be the last ones to support it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have run into uh, a few things that I um, would like to see support added for. There's a couple um, client programs that I that I use that I want to get um, TLS 1.3 client support in. Um, but yeah, uh, I had thought that that was I had thought that that had moved into uh, its done state. I, I guess it's just been approved. Anyhow, so if you want to, um, going back to like my like SNI setup inside my uh, my main function here, these certificates. Um, let's see what happens here. So the standard library has um, takes in an array on the TLS configuration for the certificates. And then after you build the configuration and, and pass that in, um, the built-in is build name to certificate. That pulls the name out of the certificate. It's all that stuff set up. Um, rather than calling listen and serve, um, you build an HTTP server. You give it the TLS config. This is probably too much detail and kind of boring. Um, and you use the net library and you listen on TCP, giving it whatever address you want to listen on. And then you build a new listener. That's where you pass in your TLS configure, configuration. And then you call serve passing in the listener. And then um, that's essentially the same behavior that uh, listen and serve TLS performs. Um, but it just allows you to pass in the TLS configuration to the listener, and then it knows what to do with it from there. So... That was my foray into TLS 1.3 and uh, a little bit of SNI using Acme Client in, uh, in OpenBSD. Nice. All right. Uh, should we play some more voicemails? Yeah, let's do it. Hey, guys. Uh, this is Joseph from Mississippi. Um, I think I started listening to y'all when... Uh, you got a plug on the BSD Now podcast. This is about, I don't know how long ago, but um, I've been listening for a while. Uh, I enjoy what y'all put out. I've actually done a little bit with OpenBSD because of some of the stuff I've listened to on the podcast. I ran a uh, old uh, AMD 64 box as a router for about a year 
running OpenBSD, and that was my uh, router for the house. I've moved on since then, but I bought a Ubiquiti Edge Router Lite just in case I ever want to go back to OpenBSD as my uh, router. But, yeah, I enjoy what y'all do, and I've played around with OpenBSD because of it. I like the style and the presentation. Um, I hope y'all keep doing it, and uh, thanks for the podcast. Thanks, Joseph. Uh, here is another one. Hi, this is Siddharth. Uh, I'm calling from Ohio. Hey, you're from Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, uh, I just called up to let you guys know that I listen to your podcast. Uh, uh, I've been listening to it for the past 10 days, I guess. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I started using OpenBSD on my computer just in October 2018. Uh, and. Uh, and I was looking for OpenBSD-related uh, trivia, and I came across your podcast here, the OpenBSD Now talk show. Uh, and uh, that's how I discovered your podcast. And uh, I really have I have two, two uh, things uh, that I'd like to hear you guys talk about in the show. Um, the first one is uh, OpenBSD full-disk encryption on a computer like uh, X200 ThinkPad. Uh, running uh, that, that uses LibreBoot. Uh, so my computer is an X200 ThinkPad uh, running LibreBoot, and I've really not figured out how to uh, do full disk encryption on it. Internet space, uh, I read on the internet that I need to be using uh, eBias. Uh, I'm not really looked into it, so I'd like you guys to uh, talk about it uh, if you have time. And the second uh, thing that I'd, I would like you guys to uh, talk about is. Uh, Syntax highlighting. Uh, well, do you guys use syntax highlighting on your editors or not? Uh, uh, context here: I, I came across a like a blog post called "Case Against Syntax Highlighting" by a person called Linus. Uh, this blog post is really, really old. It's written somewhere in 2007, um, and I thought it was very interesting. And uh, I stopped using syntax highlighting on my editor. Uh, so I'd like to hear uh, your thoughts on it uh, in your show if you have time again. And uh, this is Siddharth. Uh, I don't know if he got cut off at two minutes, but um, <laughs> as far as the ThinkPad, that's uh, I know those older ThinkPads are uh, pretty well tested in the, for OpenBSD, so it should be pretty straightforward to uh, get OpenBSD on those. Um, syntax highlighting, I don't know, what do you do, Brandon? Um, I have syntax highlighting on, and I use the Malokai uh, theme for it, for whatever that's worth. Um, and I just wanted to add to um, NiceBug, N-Y-C-B-U-G. They have um, a bunch of D-message logs, and you can go and you can look for that hardware in there, and you can see the D-message, and you can get an idea of um, whether the hard what hardware is supported and what that looks like. So... Um, if that's helpful to you, otherwise, just you know, it's probably going to work. Just throw a USB stick in there and try it out. Um, as far as syntax highlighting for me, I have it enabled in Vim. I use the theme called JCS. It is a theme that uh, I made uh, probably more than a decade ago when I uh, 
was primarily using a VT510 as my terminal. Mm -hmm. So I needed a syntax theme that was basically just monochrome and would use bold and underline to uh, do the actual highlighting. And I still use it on my uh, terminals now. Even though they support color, um, I still prefer just having black text on a white terminal. So uh, I can put a link to that theme in the uh, the show notes. Yeah. Can I give a quick shout out to uh, uh, Fred uh, Frederick Cambus for uh, Spleen? I've had a migraine every single Monday that I come home from work for like the past however many decades. <laughs> And uh, should probably get and, that looked at or something. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> or, or stop. Never mind. Um, but anyway, he he came up with this font. It's a monospaced font, and I had been using Adobe Adobe Source Code Pro with mixed results. And um, he did a really good job with this font. And uh, it's basically for the higher resolution displays. Uh, there's been a whole lot of talk that anti-aliasing actually puts a lot of strain on your eyes because it's trying to focus and the edge is, is blurry. Hmm. With a monospaced font, uh, it's it's a clean line. It's very crisp. You can see what's there very easily. Anyhow, I've been using that for a couple weeks on all my machines. So uh, a couple notes about that. One, thank you. I love that uh, font. It's very, very readable. Uh, when I'm working on code, it's hands down my favorite font. Um, my eyes are not strained. I definitely don't struggle to read the text anymore. And then two, when it comes to like if you're doing code, um, his his character set is very conducive to being able to read uh, differentiations between zeros and O's and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I definitely... Um, Write in code. That's my new favorite thing. So, I uh, figured I'd toss that along there since we were talking about editor themes. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that font is on its way to being the default OpenBSD kernel font. Yep. Hi, this is Ross, listening from outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, just calling in to let you know that I'm not a robot, uh, and that I just started listening to garbage and some of the back catalog uh, during the last year. Uh, that you guys had off, uh, and I really enjoyed the past content and I'm looking forward to future episodes. Appreciate you guys. Thanks, Ross. Hey, Garbage. This is Christopher from Mountain View, California. Just wanted to call and let you know that somebody is listening. Uh, appreciate appreciate you guys uh, putting something out uh, this year. Uh, I got into you guys when you had a regular cadence, and it was sad to see you drop off, but I know... Uh, I know you uh, have a lot of life stuff, and um, there's not always a lot to talk about. Uh, just wanted to say I appreciate when you guys do have something to talk about. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I do miss the regular cadence. Uh, when it when we weren't doing it regularly, when we weren't doing the show regularly, I was like, oh, man, this is such a bummer. When we were doing it, I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to talk about? <laughs> That's and it, I think the quality kind of tapered off. Um, in my mind, it did anyway. Towards the end of that, we were we were like, let's do it once a week. And yeah. uh, looking back, that that's a lot of editing on you. And, um, you know, our our families are growing i guess a little bit so it took on a different form <laughs> yeah i wish i had the 
the regular cadence of my life back. <laughs> uh, here's another one. Hey guys, this is Craig in Fort Worth, Texas. I enjoy your show. And I can confirm that you actually have human listeners and not just robots downloading the podcast. Also, perhaps in an upcoming episode, you could talk a little bit about the development tools that you use. And I don't mean your favorite IDE or your favorite editor, but what do you do to make sure that your code is really good? Are you using things like Valgrind? Are you doing fuzz testing with AFL, for example? So perhaps talk about that if you get a moment. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Have a great day. That that assumes we write good code. I think you write good code. I do not write code that is good at all. My code usually doesn't even compile. <laughs> Craig has a very uh, made-for-radio voice. Yeah. He could, like, do commercials and stuff. Yeah, definitely. That is a that is a made-for-radio voice for sure. Uh, yeah, we will talk about some tools uh, in a future episode. Hello, Joshua and Brandon. I greatly appreciate your content and fully conquer that it is indeed a high-quality content. The fact that people are not writing or leaving comments has nothing to do with how they feel about your show. There is a silent majority out there who greatly enjoy and find value in your show. I and the rest of the robots greatly thank you from the bottom of our cold digital silicon-based heart. I don't know, that guy sounded like a robot. He doesn't have the voice for radio like uh, like Craig did. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and last voicemail. Hello, garbage. Uh, Anda is from Australia, calling. Um, longtime BSD user and big fan of your podcast. Um, just wanted to leave a bit of feedback that I think it's really a shame that you guys have um, stopped recording regularly, but I'm seeing a few episodes now popping up in my feed which is great and secondly it would be great to hear a bit now a, a bit more about your individual or personal setups you know what email client you use what um desktop environment do you use um what's your favorite editor what are your tools to trade for hacking etc so um hacking on code um but uh it's always exciting to hear what what other people use for inspiration anyway keep up the good work uh yeah we will do that on a future episode i'm uh in the same camp i always like hearing other people's setups and all the little tools and tweaks that they do because um, i'm always learning stuff from that yeah definitely I, I think every time i see a developer writing code i look at something and i'm like how did they do that like yeah totally yeah um that's yeah. Actually, at the the hackathons, that's a, a big thing for me. I'll look at someone's screen, and be like, "What is that thing you're doing?" Or how did you just do that so quickly? Yeah. All right. So that's the end of our voicemails. Uh, thanks to everyone that called in. Uh, a few people called in and didn't want the their voicemail played on the show. So thanks to you too. Um, did you have some more voicemails or uh, emails? Yeah, I did. Let me see. Where did we? Um, okay, I remember where we left off here. Um, Peter, he emailed in, um, and he says that uh, because of the podcast, he was inspired to start running OpenBSD in his small office, home office setups, and on his uh, virtual private servers. Cool. So that's that's a that's an awesome thing, and uh, I hope that you're enjoying it, Peter. I know I definitely do. Um, I've only had like what five or six rage fits where i've quit openbsd for a week and then uh, i had to come crawling back (laughs) 
So anyway, um, that's good stuff. We got another email here from uh, Raphael, and uh, he says this is his favorite podcast, which is uh, humbling, I guess. But he likes that we don't have commercials um, and that we do talk about OpenBSD. And he especially loves your soothing voice, JCS. And he is not the first person I've heard say that. That's weird, but okay. Yeah, yeah. No, it's soothing. I guess that's I guess that's a good thing. Um, Lucas emailed us, and he said he's uh, just kind of a newer user to OpenBSD. And I guess the the train was that he found Pushover, and then OpenBSD Amsterdam, and then that led him to uh, the podcast and all sorts of other stuff. So I think he found your product first, and then he kind of like meandered his way over here to the podcast so thank you for emailing us lucas i appreciate that yeah thanks for using pushover too yeah um andrew also emailed us he's from switzerland and uh he actually suggested that we should have an irc channel um uh and he gave kind of a suggestion for this but like getting feedback about the show um and all the recordings and stuff and i I'll throw out that I think we kind of do that in Metabug a little bit um, mm-hmm. on um, Freenode. So uh, if you if you feel like chatting with us or have comments or want to communicate in uh, in IRC, you know, feel free to join Metabug's uh, basically a BSD user group channel that wasn't supposed to be for any specific BSD. Um, and we have people there from OpenBSD and NetBSD and FreeBSD, and so. Feel free to to join. Yep. Let's see. We're at uh, Alejandro. He is uh, emailing us from New York. He says he loves the show, uh, but he isn't. Uh, he says he doesn't follow the uh, technical details as much, um, but he does find what we're talking about inspirational and educational, uh, which which I think is great. Um, um, it's it's always interesting when you get into the technical crowd. Everybody assumes everybody knows pretty much what they know, and and the actual amount of information and knowledge is all over the charts. So um, glad you're taking inspiration from this. He did ask. He says, um, you know, in a upcoming episode, if we could talk about multi-factor authentication and password managers. So. Uh, I think we've talked about password managers in the past and even multi-factor authentication. So uh, maybe we'll touch on that pretty soon. And I think that's the last email that we had. Cool. Um, I know on the previous episode it kind of seemed uh, doomy and gloomy, um, but uh, I really appreciate uh, everybody that called in and emailed. Uh, It's nice to know that there are uh, actual people listening to the show and not just a bunch of robots. Yep. I definitely appreciate it as well. Um, it breaks up the monotony, monotony of my day when uh, an email comes in or a voicemail notification and uh, it's somebody saying, hey, love what you guys do, appreciate it, and uh, that means a lot. So I, I told my wife earlier today, I said, you know, now that all these people have said that they enjoy our content, I need to put some effort into it. <laughs> so, uh, so they aren't uh, disappointed by me not remembering things and if i don't have notes and i don't have it written down i'm not going to be be able to pull it out and uh put everything in order and communicate it clearly in a podcast that's for sure let it be known that brandon was making zero effort before zero like (laughs) barely any (laughs) 
Um, so I guess this was mostly just a feedback show. Um, the uh, voicemails and stuff were collecting for a while, but I'm assuming that going forward we'll have regular content and maybe uh, a few listener voicemails. Um, so uh, was there anything else you wanted to talk about? No, that was it. I'm uh, getting ready for the holidays. Yep. Uh, th- things are slowing down a little bit at work, and which means they're bustling at home. So, um, enjoying that. But yeah, nothing else really. How about you? Yeah, pretty much the same. End of year business stuff, and getting ready for Christmas celebrations and all that. Baby's first Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess he's too young to understand any of it, so he doesn't need any fantastic presents yet. Yeah, just, um, man, I think take lots of pictures. He won't yeah. remember it, but uh, don't let him eat the wrapping paper. I guess that was the one rule we had. <laughs> yeah, good point. That's awesome, man. Well, cool. I guess we have to change our closing now that uh, Google Plus is gone. I guess we hadn't really been doing that. Um but yeah, we should do that. We should wrap the show. Again, thanks for everyone that called. If you were uh, on the fence about it or you didn't want to be the first one to call, uh, now you won't be the first. So you can leave us a voicemail with your feedback at area code 252-88-TRASH or uh, send us an email. It's uh, on our website. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter at GarbageFM or through our website at Garbage.FM. Brandon is on Twitter at no mercy mod with the k-n-o-w i'm on the web at jcs.org and on twitter at jcs happy holidays and new year because we're probably gonna not gonna be back until 2019 (laughs) yeah enjoy the rest of your year we'll talk to you next year so long